Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, September 12th, 2021 called, I Make All Things New, One New Man, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we've started confirmation. So if you're in confirmation, did you grab your sermon notes? Just so you know, your sermon notes in the back, you can grab those, take some notes so, uh, and turn those in. So anyway, we're still in our series on new things. Behold, I make all things, I make all things new. And so in this one, we're talking about God making a new man. Now, please know right off the bat, when I say that, it's not chauvinistic, it's not misogynistic. He's making a new person, making a new human being. So it's just simply how the text says it. I made one new man out of the two, one new person, one new human being out of the two. And it's interesting, but it struck me, that phrase, I feel like a new man. Ladies, what, what do you say? I feel like a new woman. I feel like a new person. I don't know what you, what you say, but I know how it is with a guy. I haven't shaved for four days and I shave, oh, I feel like a new man. You know, or I've been camping or something three days and I come back and you take that shower and you go, oh, I feel like a new man. Uh, maybe it's in the morning, I'm just dragging and I need to have that great 44 ounces of Diet Pepsi, thank you very much, and I have my caffeine infusion and I feel like a new man. Or for some of you, it might be I got a haircut. I don't know what that feels like, but I got a haircut and I feel like a new man. Now, those are all very superficial, aren't they? I mean, one of the better ones is it's four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm dragging and I got a 20-minute nap. 20 minutes is just perfect. It makes me feel like a new man. But there are other ones that are maybe more significant. Those are superficial and they give you just a little bit of a charge or a little bit of a rush or a little bit of a different perception of yourself. But some others are, boy, we accomplished something today. What a day that was. Teresa and I have had a couple of those in the last couple of weeks where you go, wow, what a great day. Things that we had been hoping to do and we'd been put off or we didn't have a chance to do and we just got, boom, six, seven, eight different things accomplished. Wow, it just feels like we got a fresh start. Feels like we're starting new. It just really really is great. Or sometimes, and by the way, thanks for encouraging Pastor uh, Chris. A number of you sent him a note, and thanks for encouraging him with his preaching. And I've been gone, had to be gone a couple of times. I did family camp, and then I was up at Crown of Life, uh, Lutheran Church in Rigby, and Chris filled in. The church didn't burn down, and you liked the sermon. So life is good. So, and I know how that's affirming when people, you know, people send a note or they say, thanks for that. Really appreciate that. Makes you feel new. Oh, sometimes it's with family or some wonderful celebration and you just kind of feel new. All of those are kind of hints, just hints of what God is really after. If we take it another step, one of the major themes that seem to run through many of the movies that we have, and I talked about the $6 million man and then there was the bionic woman. And, you know, here's a guy who's, who's lost use of his limbs and this and that and they attach a bunch of bionic stuff to him and the guy's a new man. And she's a new gal. And then you get into the Marvel comic book universe or the DC superhero universe. And it's movie after movie after movie. 
is somebody who's made into a new man. Probably the exemplar of that or the paragon of that might be Captain America. And uh, if you read those comic books, as I did as a kid, Chris and I both collected comic books. Sorry, we're geeks, I guess. I should say me. But um, Captain America was just this wonderful hero. And for many people who follow that, he's kind of that, that one. Because um, he was a scrawny little kid. He wanted to fight for his country in World War II, and he wasn't able. He was denied and denied and denied. And he tried by hook or by crook any way he could to be able to get in there. He had a big heart and he had bravery and courage and persistence. He had all those really wonderful qualities and kept getting turned down until finally he became that test subject. And with the super soldier formula, he became Captain America and he became a new man. It's interesting, you know, I, I, I love one of the scenes and I forget what it is. My son will correct me and remind me, I know, <clears throat> from which movie it is and what scene. But there's a fat flashback or something that talks about the creator of the super soldier um, serum who says, you know, Captain America goes, why is the red skull? Because he's his nemesis, right? So he's his opposite, kind of also a superpowered being, and, uh, but so evil. And what he says to Captain America is, all the qualities that you had in you, the super soldier serum just made him greater courage and loyalty and kindness and strength. But it was true on the evil side too. All of those evil qualities of hatred and anger and racism and those things were exacerbated in the Red Skull and he became a huge enemy. All of those things, all of those hints, I think is inherent in human beings wanting to be better than we are more than we are. Wouldn't it be great to be a superhero? Wouldn't it be, and it's really nice, there are all kinds of neat moral platitudes and cliches about how you can be a superhero in all kinds of ways, but I think in our hearts, we're kind of like, boy, I'd like to do something really extraordinary, really great, really memorable, really fantastic. And God is offering that here. I'm going to tell you that. God is offering that here. And so he's offering to say, there is a way to be a new person. I want to make new people, brand new people. I didn't mention this at 8.30. It was a huge leave out. Because let me say it before I forget it. God did this himself. When God became a human being, this is really what we celebrate at Christmas, is that that new man was among us. That truly new human being. That God would take on our human flesh and blood and live in a way we did not. To live that perfect, exemplary life, he was the new man, the new Adam, Paul says. He was that new man and walked beside us and honored us by taking on human flesh and blood, dying in our place and showing us his love. And we'll touch base on that. But if you have your Bible and you want to look at it, Ephesians 2, and if you come to life in Christ tomorrow, I'll reference this again tomorrow. It's my shameless plug for life in Christ, 630 on Monday nights. I would love it if you're interested in coming. And so the, um, the Ephesians 2 passage begins with these powerful, powerful verses. We claim these as the Lutheran verses of the Bible. We do that tongue-in-cheek because we can't do that, but we do it anyway. It is by grace you have been saved. Go ahead to number one if you would. Melissa, that would be great. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, 
It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's the thing I want you to know. What is implicit is made explicit. Here's what many people, I'm starting off this way because if we get this one right, so much of the rest will get right. So on this one here, and many of you have heard it many times, many, many, many times. Please don't check out on me. I want to share, you, share this idea with you. Many people seem to think in the Old Testament, God's grace is not present there. The Old Testament was law and the New Testament is gospel and grace. The Old Testament was the mean God and the New Testament is the nice there, there Jesus, right? Very nice God. And that is incorrect. Grace is found all throughout the scriptures. God's correction and guidance and love and unconditional mercy is found all throughout the scriptures. But I will say to you, what is implicit in the Old Testament, and it's found all over the place, God's grace. For instance, Adam and Eve sin and fall, right? They disobey God. God could have immediately said, starting over, right? That's what he said. If you eat this, you die. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives them a promise, a promise of a Savior, undeserved, unmerited. That's grace, isn't it? It's implicit. And so what Paul is doing here with the early church is he's saying, look, let's be clear, okay? Let's be clear because most of us throughout our life work with a transactional system that says, if I do good things, I get rewarded, and if I do bad things, I get punished. That's the system we work with. And so Paul is stopping and saying, hey, we are forming a church that has some challenges because there's this Jewish group and there's this non-Jewish group, Gentiles, called Gentiles, and they never liked each other or got along before, and now we're going to shove them together and call them all Christians. How's that going to work? And so as he's pulling the church together, Paul is being eminently clear, let's get this right first, because if we get it right, we'll get the rest. What is implicit is made explicit. It is by grace you have been saved. Let me paraphrase it. It is solely and completely sheer gift. You didn't earn it. You did not deserve it. God simply gave you this as a gift to save your soul. And you know how, how you come to understand that? You receive it by faith. Only faith receives that. And even that faith that you have, you didn't even do that. Even that was a gift from God through his Holy Spirit. And why? So that absolutely Jesus Christ gets absolutely every bit of the credit. That's the why. That's, that's that verse. Jesus gets all the credit, not you. And so it is by grace you have been saved. Let's get that right. So that's him being explicit. I, the, the comparison I would make to this is, we, it's funny, whenever I come to, when I start at churches, I kind of ask about financial disclosure policies and so forth, because my theory on financial disclosure is I'll tell you anything in a church. In a church, it's really critical. You want to know what salary I get? You want to know how much we pay for lights and utilities? You want to know what the mortgage is? I'll tell you. Absolute, complete, total transparency. We got nothing to hide. And by the way, if you find out we did something wrong, we'll fix it. You get what I'm saying? That's what Paul is doing here. Let's be clear. It's just grace. And that's how God's going to make a new person. Because as long as we're clinging to what we're doing, he can't make a new person out of that. Okay, here we go. So that's point number one. Second thing is this. At the same time, 
You had, the opposite was true. Now listen to these words he says. So here's the dilemma he's got. We've got these Jewish Christians, right? Because you understand that. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were all Jewish. The first believers were all Jewish, right? They believed the Messiah had come from the Old Testament. And then as the word spreads through the Roman Empire, all these non-Jews, people like you and me, are starting to say, hey, we, this is a great story. Is it true? I think I, I believe that. I think I believe that. I want my sins forgiven and I want to be. And so they're starting to come in the church. And this is causing a huge dilemma. These are people who don't get along. These people have not talked to each other. They don't mess with each other. They're, they make each other disgusted because the Gentiles think the Jews are a bunch of barbarians and the Jews think that they, the, 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 uh, the Greeks and the Romans are all a bunch of uh, heathen, pagans doing disgusting, horrible things. And so now he's got to make one church, one new man. That's one of the image of this out of the two. How do you make them one? And you don't make them one by getting both sides to compromise. You make them one by uniting them in Christ. That's where we're going here. You want to know what makes a new person? Lose yourself in Christ. He's the true new man. He's the true new person. And so we find ourselves in Christ. So the opposite was true too. Look at what he says about it. God, this is so offensive in today's politically correct culture. Imagine if you said this to people. He says, uh, where am I? Oh, oh, here I am. He says, remember, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and with God, without God in the world. Holy cow. Could you say that in polite company now? You were foreigners. You were illegal aliens. You were excluded. You didn't know God. You didn't have God. And you had no hope. What would be the reaction to that today? What are you talking about, Willis? You know, it would be, who, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Who do you think I am? And what Paul is saying is, without Christ, without hope, excluded. But then he shifts gears on this. And so here's the thing. It's like when, when, when we, Teresa and I like to watch home renovation shows. So Flip or Flop is one that we kind of like. We've been watching it for years. And one of the characters, Tarek, is the guy who buys the houses usually. And, uh, and so when he buys the house... He's like always enthusiastic. This is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's just be cosmetic. We just have to do a little landscaping. And it's never that way. And, and I'm always going there saying, do you ever do a house inspection? Like never? And because they, they pull open a panel and the plumbing's all shot. You know, they pull open something and it's an unpermitted chunk of house. Or they pull open something else and the pool is all horrible. Or whatever it is. And so they end up in their never knowing the extent of the renovation and the cost. What Paul is saying is this. Please understand the extent of the renovation God is going to do in you. Far too often do we come to God and essentially say, God, you know, this little little tweak here. Just, could you do a little minor adjustment? Like God is a chiropractor or something. For, uh, forgive me, I'm not disparaging chiro chiropractors. But chiropractors do tweaks and adjustments. And some of them are wonderful and fabulous. And they provide great relief and wonderful things. 
But God is not it. God is into heart transplants. God has taken out all the guts and putting out completely new stuff in there. Because the old stuff didn't work so well. We need a new heart, a new mind. That's a whole other sermon because Paul's going to talk about having a new mind too. This is about being a new person. And so God does those complete, complete renovations. So the second thing is we really needed to know what the extent of the renovation project is. Because God counted that cost and considered you worth it. Considered you worth it. He was not doing a cost-benefit analysis on you. You were always worth it. It didn't matter that he knew every nook and corner and cranny of your past, of your mind, of your heart, of what you've done. He never did a cost-benefit analysis. He just said, you're mine, and I'm going to buy you back. And so that's what he does. And what I love about that is that's the true doctrine of inclusion. People sometimes are very critical of Christianity. Oh, Jesus, you know, you say that Jesus is the only way. Or it's so exclusive. And I go, actually, Jesus said that, not us. I mean, Jesus said it. So you got to take it up with him. But it's really this. It's that we're all broken. That's the true doctrine of inclusion. That everybody's on the same playing field, broken. And God still counted us worthy. Worth doing, worth renovating, worth transplanting. So anyway, third point. That's the great one. The other thing is, and I want to tie three and four. So Mel, let's try this. So we have been brought near, right? So here's the verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our priest, our peace, who has made the two one. So here's the cool thing. Back up to three again. So you've been, we have been brought near... And how have we been brought near? By the blood of Christ. So <clears throat> I, 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 I used an illustration that didn't work for me in the previous service. Here's one. When I was at my previous church in Portland, we had, this, uh, we had a big blowout. Actually ended up in a lawsuit with a builder because we were building a preschool building and there was all kinds of cost overruns and stuff and it caught us way off guard. And, and I said, no, we didn't agree to any of those things. So we had to go in to a magistrate. So in Seattle, they were called magistrates. And so they heard your case, and then they kind of arbitrated and decided what to do. And so you presented your information, the other side presented their information, and we lost horribly. We just got juiced. We, you know, the guy wrote down a whole bunch of false things, and the magistrate believed him and didn't believe us, and I was beside myself. It cost us like $60,000. And so it was not a minor little nothing. And I sat there and I said, all, all you did was decide between one or the other. You didn't take us to a new place. Because both of us were wrong in some ways. We didn't keep good records. That was our error. But he made false, false records. And so what's the right place to end up in? You know, when God comes to us, I'm afraid too often we come to God saying, God, this is who I think I am and this is who I want to be and I want you just to kind of say that's good. And instead, what God is wanting to do is come to us and say, I've got a whole new place I want to take you to. And you don't know that new place, but I do. Do you trust me? Will you come with me? I've already shown it to you once because I came as a man. I came as the new man. I did it. I took that risk. I made that investment. I made that investment in you. Do you trust me? 
I want to take you to be the new person I'm calling you to be. That's the first one. We've been brought near. We didn't make a journey to him. He made the journey to us. Isn't that good news? God didn't say, here, come climb the highest mountain and find me on your spirit quest. God didn't do that. He knew we couldn't. He probably knew we wouldn't. And so he came to us. He brought us near to himself. But then, fourth point, by the blood of Christ. Now, I talk about this with my Life in Christ class, because this is huge for me. Because God is not interested, by the way, in you becoming real religious. Does that sound? God is not interested in you being religious. He would love you to know how much he loves you. He would love for you to grow in friendship and in love and in worship and honor of him. But you know what? I, I brush my teeth religiously. But God would like to have a relationship with you. You believe that? Let me give you this illustration. 9-11, 20 years ago, many of us can remember exactly where we were. You can remember what you were doing. You can remember the phone calls you tried to make because I desperately tried to call my friends and I could not get through. And uh, you're watching those images. This is where I grew up. I, I took dates to the World Trade Centers for prom nights. I mean, my dad had meetings once a month in the World Trade Center. Um, for those of us that grew up there, it was, a, it was a horrific, for every American, I think, in many ways, it was a horror, just a horror show. But you know what was amazing? And it's been interesting watching a few. I can hardly watch many of the reflections. They're just a little too emotional for me. And, um, but I saw one by the fire department guys because this is what struck me on that day at about 8.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, was how the firefighters and the first responders, the ambulance drivers, the law enforcement ran to the building. You know, when I have my new members, I tell them, you want to know what God's opinion of you is? We are brought near through the blood of Christ. What does that mean? That means that Jesus Christ will take a bullet for you. And we don't do that for just anybody, do we? We do it for family. But then it begs this question, who's family? Who is family? Because on that 9-11, what I saw were hundreds of first responders going into a building that they knew would probably be their death for family. They went for family. That's who we are together. Can we be that again? Can we? Certainly in the church, we should lead the way, shouldn't we? Can we run into the fire for family? Jesus did. That's what Jesus did, because that's what he thinks of you. You're family. You are that precious to him. And so last point on this, divided no more. Folks, we have probably never been more divided as a nation, as a people. And it is time to be done with that. And that doesn't mean there's, different, there's no differences. Don't get me wrong. But as Christians, maybe it would do us well to bite our time, be patient, maybe bite your tongue, maybe not take offense, maybe not. You get what I'm saying? To treat each other like family. I hear horror stories, even in my own family, it's happening where people have cut off relationships with each other. 
because of the division and the strife and the heartache that they're facing. That just breaks my heart because that's not what Christ is about. And so for Christ's sake, he came into a world darkened by sin, into lives broken by conflict and made us one because now he wants to make us whole. Not just at peace. He wants to make us whole. And we don't even fully know what that wholeness looks like, but he does. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Go in his hands and make you whole. In the potter's hands, formed and shaped. That's what God has done. Divided no more. One in Christ. Found in Christ. One new person. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.